Hello, everyone. This is Emily Kalashevsky, Member Programs Manager at the League, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Today's webinar is titled, How Municipalities Can Support and Benefit from Expanded Access to Expungement. Safe and Just Michigan has been working in partnership with several organizations and municipalities to advocate for legislation that passes and implements automatic expungement in Michigan. Safe and Just Michigan's Executive Director John S. Cooper will be joined by Amanda O'Boyle, Assistant City Attorney of Lansing, and Francis Walters, Director of the Conviction, Integrity, and Expungement Unit of Washtenaw County Prosecutor's Office. They're going to discuss how municipalities can support and benefit from expanded access to expungement and how they are implementing these programs throughout the state. A few notes before we get started, I will assist in facilitating a Q&A session with participants. So go ahead and type any of your questions in the chat box. We'll make sure to get to those. And following today's session, we'll make sure to email any links or slides referenced to all participants. So you'll have access to those as well. Uh, now let me formally introduce our speakers before I hand it over to them. As I mentioned, we have John S. Cooper, Executive Director for Safe and Just Michigan. Amanda O'Boyle, Assistant City Attorney for the City of Lansing, and Francis Walters, Director of the Conviction, Integrity, and Expungement Unit at the Washtenaw County Prosecutor's Office. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to John to begin. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, Emily, and uh, thanks to the Municipal League for um, setting this up for us. We've been um, working since the new clean slate laws went into an effect in April to get the word out about ways in which these laws have changed and ways that communities can help improve both safety and economic productivity through expungements. And I've got a very sort of high level policy oriented presentation. Um, it's gonna take maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And then I'm gonna hand it off to Amanda and Francis who are doing, I, th I think a couple of the very innovative things we've seen from um, local and, and county government um, to expand access to expungements. So um, let's see, I'm gonna share my screen. I've got a presentation here. Um, okay, so the problem. The problem is that about one in three working age adults has a criminal record in America. There's similar rates of, of criminal histories in Michigan. Um, about a quarter of the people with criminal records have felony records. Um, essentially, all employers and landlords, private landlords at least, do background checks. So um, people who have a criminal record have a hard time finding jobs, finding safe and affordable housing, and that creates problems. People who can't find jobs are more likely to get into trouble than people who can. And ultimately, public safety suffers when we have people who are underemployed in our communities or unhoused. Um, there's been some national studies around the ways in which criminal record, criminal background checks impact the job market. And the estimate is that there is 78 to $87 billion in lost productivity due to underemployment among people with criminal records. And what that means tangibly is employers are having a harder time finding the workers they need to grow their businesses. And people are unemployed in communities that are able and interested in working, but can't find jobs that they need to support themselves and their families. So um, expungement law is one policy tool that we have to address that. Um, and Michigan has had an expungement law on the books since the 60s. 
um, there's a court petition process that um, for most of um, its history has been available to people with no more than one misdemeanor, uh, or sorry, no more than one felony and two misdemeanors on their record. Um, but uh, the way that we enforce our criminal laws has fundamentally changed since the 60s. So there's a lot more people that have criminal records. There's a lot more court cases. There's a lot more prosecutions. And there's a lot easier access to criminal records as well. Employers can, with the click of a button, access a person's criminal record. Um, it used to be much harder to find. So the impact on uh, workers is much greater now. So just to give you some numbers, um, one to uh, two to three million people in Michigan have criminal record, and we are prosecuting about a quarter of a million new criminal cases every year. So, you know, we're seeing about 45,000 new felony convictions come out of Michigan's courts every year, and about 200,000 new misdemeanor convictions. About half of all those are traffic cases, you know, primarily things like driving without insurance, driving with a suspended license, uh, drunk driving is a big one. Um, and, you know, like those are all related to public safety, but the consequences of getting those things on a person's record in many cases outweigh any benefit to public safety from arresting and charging people with those kinds of crimes. So the existing petition process in Michigan serves about 3000 people a year, but when there's 3 million people with records and a quarter of a million new convictions coming out of our courts every year, that system is not serving its purpose. We needed something new, and that is where the automatic expungement concept comes in. Um, I want to just, before I talk a little bit more about the automatic expungement concept, talk a little bit about research that came out of the University of Michigan that I think may, um, may answer some questions for those of you who aren't as familiar with expungement policy. So first thing, uh, the, this study found three things. First, they found that most people who are eligible are not able to take advantage of the court petition process. Less than 7% of eligible people can use it. Of the people that were successfully able to seal their records through that process, their personal income increased 23% within the first year after their expungement. And uh, law professors were able to figure that out because they cross-referenced criminal history data with tax data and unemployment insurance data. Uh, they also found that there's a double digit increase in employment rates generally for the people who are able to seal their records. Finally, and I think this is really important, they found that of the people who were able to seal their records, they didn't commit crimes at a rate greater than someone just off the street. You know, the, the general public is going to, on average, commit crimes at a particular rate. And the way we have treated people with criminal records in the past has um, reflected an assumption that no matter how old a conviction is, a person with a conviction is more likely than average to get into trouble. And that's just not empirically true. If a person stayed out of trouble for five years, they're not more likely than someone with no criminal history to get in trouble. And that has to do with the sociology and biology of crime. Most crime is committed by young men in the 17 to 24 age demographic, and there's lots of reasons for that and lots of research about it. But one thing that is very clear from the uh, criminology and sociology research is that people who are able to stay out of trouble for a number of years are not likely to get into trouble again. And our public policy should reflect that. And unfortunately, when it comes to criminal records, um, 
if you get into trouble, that is on your record for life in most cases. And that is a lifetime of um, barriers to employment and housing and other things that people need to make it in society. So um, Michigan passed um, an automatic expungement law last year. It's gonna allow people who um, do not receive another conviction for a period of seven years for misdemeanors or 10 years for felonies to get up to four misdemeanors or two felonies automatically cleared. Um, this is a policy that was implemented in Pennsylvania and it's been implemented in Utah. Um, and Michigan was the third state to pass it. Our law is different in some ways, it's a little broader in some ways, but it's focused on the big group of cases that are um, uncontroversial to judges. We're talking about low level misdemeanors primarily, a lot of traffic cases, uh, marijuana possessions, other kinds of possession offenses, that if people were able to take advantage of the court process would be getting granted, but the system doesn't really it's not set up to serve hundreds of thousands of people. In fact, if every lawyer in the state of Michigan took full-time pro bono cases to do expungements, they wouldn't be able to clear the backlog. I, I don't actually think they'd be able to even keep up with the annual number of convictions that we're producing. So a scalable system like the automatic one that was rolled out in Pennsylvania is necessary to solve these issues. And um, I think Michigan's law is not broad enough to solve the problems, but it's a huge step in the right direction. Um, so uh, we were the lead organization for the Michigan Clean Slate campaign. We worked with a number of um, great partners on both sides of the aisle to pass this policy. Um, the campaign launched in 2019. Bills were signed last October. And the first round of bills went into effect last April. And this was a major expansion in the um, eligibility criteria for the court petition process. And um, people like Amanda and Francis have been thinking about how do we help people in our communities benefit from this change in law? Because it used to be the case that most people with criminal records were not eligible to, to apply for expungement. And that is no longer true. Among other things, uh, traffic offenses are eligible for expungement for the first time. Um, those, as I said before, are half of all criminal cases. Uh, yesterday, the legislature actually just passed a law making first offense DUI eligible for expungement, and that's going to help a large group of people. Um, we've heard many as 200,000 people will be eligible for expungement when that law goes into effect next spring. And we're going to be working with local partners to try and help people with old DUI convictions get those sealed. Um, there's a number of other changes that you can see on my slide here. Um, but, you know, I think the details are less important than understanding the benefits that people in your communities get from having their criminal records sealed. Um, it's going to help people get jobs and housing. It's going to reduce recidivism for the group of people that have committed crimes because it's going to help them get jobs. Um, and ultimately, it's going to result in more taxpayers, better social supports for the people in communities and healthier communities in general. So um, that's my pitch. And I'm going to um, now turn it over to um, Amanda, if she's ready, um, to talk a little bit about an expungement fair the city of Lansing has been planning. Um, so Amanda, the floor is yours. Please go ahead. All right, sounds good. I'm gonna stop my screen share here. Yep, yep, and I'm just gonna pull mine up right here. 
Yeah. All right, looks like you guys are seeing this as well, right? <laughs> All right, great. So uh, I'm just gonna talk a little bit about how a municipality can get involved <laughs> in the expungement process. So the city of Lansing, um, how we kind of came about this was not directly thinking about criminal expungement of prior convictions, but really it started with a discussion from city council and politicians about how do we promote social equity or racial equity in our you know, city? How do we help this? And the initial discussion that came to me is how do we implement this in marijuana ordinances? Because that was really how the state initially addressed this was there are social equity cities and you know communities, people that were you know, impacted more by marijuana regulation than other communities. And we had thought about implementing that as the city of Lansing, how do we add that back into our existing marijuana ordinance? And I kind of tossed out some ideas of, we could reopen this ordinance and address it as limited to marijuana only, or we could talk about it in a broader sense and what are other alternatives? And one of the things that we discussed and ultimately decided to do was sponsor an expungement clinic. So from our perspective, and I think John really touched upon this already, but benefits that, you know, not only does it benefit the residents, but it comes back and it pays tenfold back to the community itself. So increased access to housing, obviously that can correlate to less people homeless or more less transient society, which has its own distinct problems, particularly when it comes to criminal prosecution. It can increase access to employment or frankly, better employment. So if you're at a low paying job, you could get that better paying job and move up, which obviously increases your tax base and perhaps you know increases their ability to perhaps purchase a home or something like that as opposed to renting in your community. And also uh, increased access to things like public assistance, or you know, getting financial aid for education, leading to your community being better educated and having more uh, financial and community support. So when the economy does tank, you're hopefully the safety net for your community is better than it could have been had you not participated in an expungement clinic. Obviously these are lofty goals, but these are the grand thoughts that we kind of had as a city. Now, implementing an expungement clinic has been, uh, it's been a process. Is uh, <laughs> my son over here? Uh, so the first kind of thought that uh, you really need to think about is budgeting for the event. Obviously you could have a small scale event or you could have a very large scale event. Uh, and you're really gonna have to think about as a community, how are you going to fund and do that? Ours elected to allocate money to the city attorney's office to implement uh, this project. So that is what we are doing. And then you're gonna wanna think about scale of the event and who, who is your target audience. Um, and ours, we kind of debated back and forth was, you know, do we want it to benefit only local residents or do we want it to benefit perhaps people who have been convicted of crimes within our jurisdiction, which is what we opted to do. It's a little bit broader, or perhaps do you wanna make it so broad that anybody who is eligible, you know, could be, um, could benefit from 
an expungement clinic. The only qualms that I had about that is using specifically tax dollars for you want it to benefit your community and your residents. So if you make it eligible to everyone, there is a little bit of question about uh, are those tax dollars being really used for your residents if it's benefiting somebody outside of your community. Um, other things, coordinating obviously with people who are experts like Safe and Just Michigan, they, they know what they're doing and obviously they are a good sounding board for how to do this and how to implement it. Uh, also working with your local police, they are crucial in doing things like uh, pulling iChat for the criminal history checks for everybody and fingerprinting, which is a necessary step along the way as well. And I will say one of the things that has been uh, oddest is actually the next one, courts. Uh, so we have three district courts within our uh, community and each of them is participating, which is great but each has elected to participate in their own unique way. So I guess if you're planning to do this event, uh, just know uh, that, that there is no uniform way of doing this, I guess, in place at this time. So one court is going to participate in person. Another one is going to participate uh, remotely through encrypted email. And another said that just, pull all the records ahead of time and we'll just drop them off ahead of time. So uh, they're each a little unique in, in their way of handling it. And when it comes to courts, I think probably one of the um, most important aspects, if you really want to see success in people actually getting through the expungement process and ultimately having a conviction set aside, is seeing if you can coordinate with the courts on getting a specific hearing date in the future. Uh, because you'll have attorneys who want to volunteer their time, uh, but they also don't want some smattering of future hearing dates that could be potentially all across the state. Uh, we're kind of in a unique opportunity right now where a lot of court is still remote. And so for that person who happened to get uh, their DWLS while they were up in the UP, uh, we probably can still help that person because the court will probably still be doing remote work for the near future. But that's something to keep in mind um, is if you can get a finite date with your existing courts that you work with regularly, uh, I think more attorneys are willing to commit to seeing the case through. So not only doing the application work, but ultimately appearing on behalf of their client in court and uh, presenting the motion to the judge for consideration. Other people that you're really gonna to wanna to coordinate with is your county prosecutor's office, uh, as well as your county public defender's office, if you can. Um, and then other things that I found helpful, at least within the Lansing community, are local law schools. So law students, this is a really great opportunity for them to get a little slice of justice. Um, you know, uh, the, the most, um, telling to me like sign of, of scale here is that I was talking to Cooley Law School and they said, oh, our Innocence Project does all of these sorts of things, but the Innocence Project is working on a multi-year you know, goal here to help one person. Participating in this way really can help somebody out in a smaller um, nutshell. It can be done say in 60 to 90 days 
and uh, gives the student an opportunity to make appearance in court, which is always fun as a law student too. Um, one thing that I do wanna note is that our office determined that us specifically attorneys shouldn't be assisting in the review of the applications. And that is just due to the potential conflict of interest. Um, if we were the ones who uh, are responsible for the conviction that's going to be set aside, there's always the possibility that we may in fact actually oppose setting aside a certain conviction. And so it wouldn't be proper for us to be participating in that way. So we took a more hands-off approach and we're coordinating the event, but we're not actually participating in the actual legal process. Some other things that I just kind of want to note that I've learned as I've gone away through this process, uh, locate your event away from where the police headquarters is. Uh, this is just because people may have a hesitancy to participate if they think there's a possibility they're going to get arrested uh, or somebody they're with might have, you know, a warrant for child custody payment or something along those lines. Also, you're really going to want to have some notary publics on hand to sign any of the paperwork. And lastly, just uh, making it a whole scale event. So not just expungements, but have other things available that the community needs. So in our case, we're going to have utility companies to help out to see if people need to get on payment plans. Uh, we have grant money for the city currently to help people who owe money to the Secretary of State or court debts. Um, that is often holding people up from getting their expungements approved by the judge is because they still in fact owe money, even though legally speaking, it doesn't prevent a uh, set aside, but many courts won't do it unless that money is paid. And so if you have a means of setting aside money for that purpose or applying for grant money for that purpose, uh, that will definitely help your chances of helping the greater community. All right, thank you. Hey, th thanks. And uh, I, I just wanted to um, briefly preview Francis. So I, I know this is for the Municipal League and Francis works for the county prosecutor. But as Amanda, I think, suggested getting the county prosecutor involved in this process is very important because they have a lot of authority um, to help move things along. And um, what Francis is doing in Washtenaw County is really innovative. I'm not aware of any other county prosecutor's office doing it. So I wanted to make sure the word was out about this. And then uh, when Francis is done, I want to talk a little bit about the resources that we have and legal aid has to help plan events um, so that you guys don't have to do it all yourselves. All right. So go ahead, Francis. Thank you, John. Um, yeah. So John mentioned um, I'm from the Washington County Prosecutor's Office. I joined in February. Um, our elected Ellie Savitt took office in January. And we were very fortunate that um, the county commission voted to um, start a temporary uh, conviction integrity and expungement unit. They granted us um, early funding so that uh, I could come in before the laws went into effect. Um, I, when I came here, there were working groups in progress um, where uh, our office was talking with people doing expungement work and conviction integrity unit work. Um, in Michigan and in Washtenaw County uh, so that we could start putting into place policies and procedures um, that incorporated what everyone has already learned. Um, and so we knew we weren't starting from scratch. And so 
we've been really fortunate to um, jump into this work um, with so many people eligible now under the new laws, thanks to Safe and Just Michigan and so many other organizations. Um, we just knew that it would take all hands on deck to be able to help all the people who are newly eligible. Um, and uh, we've taken the approach of no wrong door in our county. So um, I put together a few slides just to illustrate, um, you can see what we are doing here. So um, as I mentioned, when I joined uh, the prosecutor's office, there were already working groups in progress. Um, we have something called what we call Washtenaw County Expungement Coalition. Um, and it started, I think they say five to six years ago where Michigan Works Southeast got together with the sheriff's office and they said, we need to help people get this done because of all the benefits that John and Amanda touched on. And so they started doing this work. They brought in Michigan Advocacy Program who is the umbrella organization that um, where legal services for South Central Michigan is housed um, to bring in attorneys to help with this work. Um, so they've been doing this for five to six years, but with the new laws, everything expanded. We also are, um, as John pointed out in the Michigan law study, we were seeing tons of barriers to people um, successfully going through the process. And so our office um, joined this year and the Washtenaw County Public Defender's Office because uh, legal services for South Central Michigan has a certain income threshold. The public defender's office income threshold is a little bit higher. And so they're able to take on cases maybe that um, the Michigan advocacy program lawyers could not. And so we joined the coalition. Um, and then even more people have been joining because again, we just need so many, um, there are just so many people who have needs. They have cases, we have, um, six district courts and then a, the circuit court in our jurisdiction. So a uh, city of Ann Arbor, their probation department has now joined. They are helping individuals who had cases in the 15th district court, which is in Ann Arbor. Um, and then those who have cases in the 22nd circuit court. Um, and then Washtenaw Literacy has also joined our coalition to help get word out um, to uh, the populations they're working with. And then the newest thing is um, we recruited, <laughs> we were able to get a pro bono attorney from Treetown Law who will be able to supervise law students out of Michigan Law uh, to further expand the number of people we're able to assist because um, our prosecutor's office, we've received uh, emails or calls from over 200 people already uh, since April, uh, Michigan Advocacy Program through their intake they have looked through a number of um, intakes and we have over a hundred people that with Michigan Advocacy Program that we know are eligible. So that's not just to reach out to them. Those are the people who are actually eligible. Um, and so the need is great. Things are backed up everywhere in the courts and, and all the, uh, in um, the criminal justice, uh, the criminal legal system generally. And so it's, we're just looking to expand our ability to help people. And then um, one of uh, the Michigan undergrad groups was able to receive a grant through Davis Projects for Peace. And so they also have joined the coalition to help fund some of the work we're doing. 
I wanted to put together a little a slide, a graphic on how our coalition is working together so that you can see all of the various pieces. Um, so um, I didn't put on there, but everyone's doing outreach, um, Safe and Just Michigan, um, I think Michigan Liberation, a bunch of other organizations are getting word out all over Michigan. And then specifically in Washington County, um, our coalition has been hard at work to get um, just notify people that the law has changed and what that means. Um, funding currently for the, there are various fees involved. Um, all the cases need certified court records and um, are, you know, so Michigan Works Southeast and the Davis Projects for Peace are helping cover those. Um, a majority of the cases also require a $50 fee um, per application to the courts that goes to Michigan State Police. Um, the marijuana cases, you don't need that fee. So um, there are different pieces, but yeah, we have various organizations and we're trying to seek other funding to cover all of that so that there are no barriers um, to people getting their cases expunged. Um, and as you'll see, as I mentioned, there's no closed door, uh, no wrong door rather. Um, and so most of the intake right now has been going through Michigan Work Southeast, Michigan Advocacy Program, and our office, as I mentioned, has been getting calls and emails. Um, the one thing we are able to do really easily, um, more easily than any individual, is to get iChats corrected. What we are seeing a lot of is hanging arrests where the records are incomplete. Often those are for dis cases that were dismissed. And so we have been working with Michigan State Police um, and the courts to get all those corrected. Um, sometimes there are duplicate charges when a person was only convicted of one of the charges. We're showing, the iChats are showing multiple, which may hold up the process on the back end. And so we're helping to get all of that corrected. Um, and that's something that uh, the county prosecutor's office is uniquely situated to do um, because we are the ones that prosecuted the cases. Um, and then a number of us are helping check for eligibility. And then uh, the city of Ann Arbor probation department and we are helping to get coordinate the certified record requests for all members of the coalition. Um, the courts are very short staffed, um, everything's backed up and so we thought maybe having um, requests come from one or two entities would be easier on them. Um, we're still figuring out if that is actually accurate, um, but so uh, that's what we're doing. Um, and then the Washtenaw, Sheriff, Washtenaw County Sheriff's Office is offering free fingerprinting. Um, so we all of the coalition members can refer people to the Sheriff's Office for free fingerprinting. I believe Ann Arbor Police Department is uh, working with the city of Ann Arbor Probation Department. Um, also to provide free fingerprinting. And then the representation piece, um, as Amanda touched on, because our office um, will often respond to a uh, application to set aside, we are not taking part in filling out applications. We're not any other part of the representation. Um, we make very clear to individuals that we can't represent you, we're not your attorneys. Um, we're just kind of helping with the um, first few steps. And uh, the representation is handled by Legal Services for South Central Michigan, the Public Defender's Office, and now this partnership with the law students um, supervised by a pro bono attorney at Treetown Law. Um, and then lastly, I was just going to go a little bit more in depth on our specific um, things that our unit uh, is doing. So 
outreach. Um, we created a summary on a, a very basic reading level. Um, we asked um, some organizations and some individuals to review those. We then were, it was suggested to us that we also have infographics um, to try to break down further the barriers. And so we've created a series of those and we share this information on website, our website and then through social media, which actually has gotten a lot of traction. Um, I was surprised by how, how much the Facebook posts have been shared. Um, we've had uh, this summer, we had undergrad and high school interns take out flyers to all the local businesses, um, providing them links to um, websites for information, plus our contact information. Um, and then we've uh, distributed marijuana expungement information at all the local dispensaries, um, the ones that would take them. Uh, and then generally outreach at religious organizations, neighborhood association events, and other community events. Um, and we've also been doing um, either, for example, Safe and Just Michigan as an event on Sunday, so we'll be there. Um, but we've also put on other local expungement events, um, specifically pulling iChats. Um, and I think I failed to mention, thanks to Michigan Works and Safe and Just Michigan, um, those are now free for these set aside. So we're able to pull iChats, you know, if need be, we'll go into the judicial and prosecutor databases to find the missing information to clear things up. Um, and we've been registering people for expungement fairs that we will be having. Um, so intake again, we've been taking emails, calls. They range from like, I have all my materials, what do I do now? Um, to like just a one word expungement and like the person just needs help even getting started. So we've been fielding those. Um, again, the record correction is one thing unique to um, our prosecutor's office that we're able to assist with. Um, we've been helping with the eligibility review and the certified, getting the certified court records. And then we're also having expungement fairs where we are participating, um, but along with our partners so that um, the law students or other attorneys can help people beyond just checking for eligibility. So um, some of the things that are easier to do are filling out the marijuana applications so that the person can just get those taken care of, um, signing them up for the free fingerprinting. Um, Michigan Works is able to um, have a one-stop shop that they're having in October in our county and the uh, sheriff's office will actually be present there so the people can get their fingerprinting done there. Um, and then uh, starting on the application process for any other cases. And then the other unique thing that we're able to do is we're able to do other review. Um, and so uh, one brief anecdote, and the, that will be the end of it. Um, we had an individual write us. Uh, he had uh, a few juvenile adjudications on his record. Um, had he been an adult under the new law, he actually would have been able to expunge um, the, the records. But because they were juvenile adjudications, with, which has a somewhat more limited law, he was not able to. And he said this has been affecting his jobs. Um, and uh, under a new law, uh, the courts made his record non-public, but it was still showing up on criminal background checks otherwise. And so, you know, he was just, he, he told us how he's been working. These were incidents that occurred when he was 15. Um, he and a couple buddies went into unlocked cars and took um, maybe an iPod. One of the cases he was found with two $1 bills that were taken out of the car. And it was 
and he had to plead to a juvenile adjudication that was the equivalent of a felony conviction. Um, and so, you know, I brought this case to, I, I did some background uh, investigation. I really thought, you know, at age 30, these things that he did when he was 15 on one night should really not be hanging over his head. And luckily, like I brought it to our elected um, and the chief assistant, they brought in the leadership team and everyone agreed that like, it would be in the interest of justice to allow him to withdraw the plea and to request um, dismissal of the cases. And so we were able to get that done. And I, so background, I uh, was at the Mid-Atlantic Innocence Project for seven and a half years. And so to see something that was unjust and be able to correct it immediately <laughs> was just so novel to me. Um, and part of the reason why I think every prosecutor's office needs a conviction integrity and expungement unit. Um, it was, it, it, it really fulfilled, it, it uh, proved to me that I made the right choice in making the move. So th that's the type of work we're doing. Um, and I'm really excited to be here and learn from Amanda um, because really we are trying to get all the best practices in one place. Uh, thanks so much, Francis. And I, I had a couple things I wanted to just um, touch on before we go to Q and A. Um, so first, um, I, I think just both both Amanda and Francis's experience is consistent with what we've heard from other places. You know, like th this is complicated and it's hard, but it's among the most transformative things government can do for people in your communities. You know, it, an expungement truly is life changing, changing for a person. And it's a choice not to help people, honestly, but it's a choice we should all be making because we can make our communities safer and more productive and healthier if we reach out to people. And, you know, the, the story Francis shared about the juvenile adjudications is one example, but, you know, people come into these expungement fairs, they've got They've got criminal justice debt, they've got child support debt, they maybe have problems with driver's licenses, you know, basic things that can be addressed with the right supports. But if you don't get folks in the door and, and see what the issues are, you don't end up being able to help them. But, the, you know, those kinds of challenges can send someone back into the criminal justice system. And that's not something any of us should want or tolerate, you know, if we can help them in another way. And, you know, because this is all complicated, um, so safe and just making just a little background on us. We're um, a nonprofit. We're funded primarily by foundations. And, you know, we have funding to help spread the word about the new law and help people get expungements. So really, my job is to help set up expungement fairs right now, you know, get the word out. So we have the resources to help cities do that. We have the resources to help nonprofits do that. So if uh, any of you are interested in planning an expungement fair or an outreach event in your community, let me know. My contact information is in my slides. Um, we're also um, helping fund uh, the five major legal aid organizations here in Michigan because they're the primary legal service providers for people with criminal records that are seeking expungements. And we are going to be partnering with them to plan expungement fairs um, October, November, December, January. February, March in various places. We'd love to do more, but that's what we're committing to right now. But if, if you'd like one of those fairs to be in your town, let me know. 
Um, and with that, I think um, we're ready to go to Q&A. Excellent, thank you so much. Um, a number of questions uh, to ask. So um, first off, communities provide a wide variety of municipal services and resources to residents. Um, so can you take a moment to share ideas or reiterate some of those ideas on where we can intersect those services with opportunities to engage on expungement? Yeah, so um, there's been a number of really good examples just this summer. Um, there's, there's um, a lot of cities do community resource fairs. Um, so there was one in Jackson recently, there's one in Marquette, and it's just, you get the city services out in a park or somewhere, there's tables out, you know, Michigan Works usually comes, um, and you're just trying to get as many services out there to connect to people. Cause like it's, uh, you know, I think especially for working people, you know, the secretary of state, it's you gotta, gotta make time to go there. You know, you gotta make, the expungement process that requires visits to the police station, to the courthouse. Like there's all these different hurdles that like average people would need to take off work to do. And like, that is a real problem. So I think getting everything into one place, you know, not just the expungement, but all the other plausible needs, you know, from vaccination to driver's license restoration, you know, other secretary of state issues, you know, having the probate court there could be helpful. You know, people have back child support. There's, there's issues related to, um, th there are many understandable challenges that people are running into. So getting community resources together with local um, courts and even prosecutors, if they're, if they're willing, could be really helpful because getting, getting people out and getting them to the resources is one of the biggest challenges that we have. You know, we're not going door to door with expungement fairs. You know, it's, we got to get people out. So I think thinking creatively about what are the things that will draw people out. And, you know, we've got events this summer where people are planning music and food and fun fairs, you know, like I just, it just gets people to come out and um, learn about the services that are available. Because I think in many cases, these services haven't been available or they haven't been as available as they are now. And people um, you know, who have been inside largely for the last 18 months probably may not know what's out there. Thank you. Um, where can communities access information on how many individuals may be eligible for expungement in their locality? That is a great question. And let me tell you, that opens up a few different issues that I, I'm excited to talk about. So the first thing is that, so the Michigan State Police is the keeper of the official criminal history database in Michigan. And that, that database is something they actually guard very closely. So we do not, and you know, we were the lead organization for this campaign. We do not know exactly how many people today have a criminal record in Michigan. We have estimates that we've gotten through the grapevine and things like that, but to find out how many people have records in your community, you will need to call the Michigan State Police and ask them. Or, you know, if you've got a friendly court administrator, they might be able to, to pull that information. But in most places, it's gonna be about a quarter to a third of working age adults. And in most places, it'll be 50% traffic and some combination of uh, property and assaultive and drug crime beyond that. The smallest group is likely to be assaultive crimes. Um, it, there's, a, there's a lot of prosecutions for traffic and property and drug crimes in Michigan. Um, and you know the reality is I, I think people, when they hear crime or felony, they think about violence and that's just not the way the system is set up. 
Um, so I, I think part of what we are trying to do here too is educate the public and uh, educate um, employers about who is out there and what a felony record that's 10 years old might actually mean about their employability. Because there's a lot, of, I think, mm. a lot of misconceptions out there as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, aside from promoting awareness on automatic expungement, what should municipalities review in their current ordinances that inadvertently create barriers for those who have existing convictions that cannot yet be expunged? One major area is um, public housing and the, the housing authorities locally, they all have look backs for criminal records and some are very long and some aren't. And, you know, just the research that we're seeing says, you know, if a person stayed out of trouble for even a couple of years, they're not a huge risk. And I think just we know that getting people into housing is a precondition for getting jobs and getting, you know, educational opportunities, all, all the things we look for for social stability and social mobility and, you know, creating systems that put people into homelessness is a bad way of developing communities. So I think just being understanding about people's backgrounds, working with local nonprofits around how do we get people into housing? What are the needs for the people that don't qualify locally? Um, those are all really important conversations. And you know, because we do have siloed social service systems, you know, sometimes they're not talking to each other and, and there's people with resources or expertise that aren't being brought to the table. So I think coordination is really important. Um, one just example I'll give on that is a number of counties are doing uh, crisis response partnerships between local hospitals and sheriff's departments. Because what happens frequently is someone will be having a mental health episode that is scary to the people around them. And you know that is not something that you typically call an ambulance for. Typically you call law enforcement, but law enforcement you know, it's not always trained in de-escalation. They're looking to control the situation through, um, through force. So if a person's in a mental health crisis, that's actually likely to exacerbate the situation and lead to, lead to conflict. So getting a 24 seven crisis hotline set up and a place for someone in crisis to go to recover and be de-escalated is something that's happened in Oakland County. It's happened in Kent County. There's a few other places that are doing it, but that is something that is going to improve outcomes for our mental health system, our health system, and our criminal justice system. Because you know, a jail is not really the right person for a person in mental health crisis, and law enforcement isn't necessarily the right person to, to show up to help them. So just one example. Excellent. I love that point, John. And I think for our members who are attending today, there is information on the crisis intervention teams. Um, it's a Memphis model, a number of municipalities, county level governments have placed, um, have gone through that training for their sheriff's departments. Um, and more information can be found on that. We'll make sure links are available to that and both the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, who also talk a little bit further about um, that training as well. So we'll make sure those are available. Um, a couple more questions, if you don't mind. Uh, are there examples of businesses as partners using their platforms locally to educate and engage residents on expungement? Yeah, I mean, we, we'd love to see more of this. And we've reached out to, you know, uh, 
business groups are major supporters of this legislation. And I, I want to give a shout out to the Small Business Association, Grand Rapids Chamber of Commerce, Lansing Chamber, Detroit Regional Chamber. They were all major supporters of the Clean Slate Law and um, have been helpful, particularly in Lansing. But we'd love to see um, more outreach locally within employers. Like employers, if you're having workforce challenges, like you could have an expungement fair help people seal records and then hire, you know, out of that outreach. I know there's some staffing companies that are trying to get expungements for their um, clients, the people they're representing. There's a lot that could be done. And I know the nonprofit world is very interested in facilitating those kinds of efforts, particularly within the business community, because the more the business community kind of understands the realities of hiring from these populations, I think the better they're going to be at doing it. Um, but I, I think, you know, in Grand Rapids, we have a coalition of employers that do what, what I think they call second chance hiring, and they, have, they all have very intentional outreach programs to people with records, um, Cascade Engineering, Butterball Farms, um, uh, Premier Finishing, um, and, and a number of other manufacturers around here are leaders in that space. And, um, you know, we've actually found that um, Industries like manufacturing and building trades are really good places for people with records to go. Um, I think that some of the more public facing um, service oriented industries like um, healthcare, like retail are more hesitant when it comes to second chance hiring. Um, so we're working on those two, but. Excellent. Uh, last question that I've got here on my list um, before we open it up um, and make sure if there are any final questions that come in through our chat. Um, since engaging the county prosecutor is encouraged, would you recommend cities and villages coordinate regionally to host expungement events to maximize impact? And are there any examples of that type of collaboration? So that's a great question. And it, it actually um, raises a few of the logistical challenges that we see with expungement work. And the biggest one is that oftentimes people have convictions from multiple courts in multiple places. And the way the system's set up right now, you have to file a petition in every different court where you have a conviction. So we've got people sort of in Metro Detroit where they've got convictions in 10 different courts and it's all traffic. And for folks like that, waiting for the automatic expungement to go live in April, 2023 is really a better solution because filing all those petitions just isn't worth the effort. Um, so we, I think the most effective interventions have been ones that are within a particular local court. So in Detroit, it's the third circuit is the big criminal court that handles felonies. Um, there was a big expungement fair in Flint that the attorney general's office put on with the county sheriff and they coordinated with the local courts that needed to be involved. But if you're talking about pulling in three or four different courts, there's that much more coordination. So I would, I would start with a single local court and then sort of see what's possible outside of a single local court, just because you're going to end up pulling in people with more and more complicated case histories and it can be a challenge to get them the support that they need to, to solve those issues. Um, but it's, it can work either way. It just requires more coordination if you're talking about multiple courts. Sure. Well, thank you so much. Um, I will note we had a question come in um, from Janie asking if anyone, hospitals, mental health facilities, et cetera, in Michigan teach mental health first aid for people or the community to assist in dealing with individuals experiencing 
um, mental health crisis. Uh, so I did post the information on mental health first aid. Um, you can search by state. They're offering a number of virtual courses right now. Um, so there are options for you there. Uh, and we've also posted a link to the Detroit Wayne Crisis Intervention Team. Um, they are hosting some upcoming trainings as well, so you can reach out to them. Um, and before we finish today, I'll make sure to post the NAMI Michigan um, website as well, who may also have resources for your communities uh, on this topic. Uh, John, Francis, Amanda, anything to add before we close out today? I mean, my, my pitch, and uh, this is, you know, probably re reiterating something I've already said, but like, this is a way of showing communities that government can work for them. You know, these records are government records. It's government's choice to keep them public. And helping people seal these records is going to show them that government cares about how they're doing and can help them make their lives better. just add uh, that, you know, start small, uh, you know, find an event size that your community is willing to do. And I think that once the community sees the benefit, uh, that your, your scale will grow, funding will grow, and more people will want to participate. The one thing I would add is, um, look around to see if anyone's already doing the work in your uh, city or municipality. And um, you probably don't have to start from the very beginning. We got a lot of information from Project Clean Slate on top of everyone who was already part of the coalition. So um, there are partners and I know Amanda and I and John are all available as well. Yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. You know, we're, we're, we're doing this because we'd like to see more of this stuff happen. So um, we're, we're here to be a resource. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, John, Amanda, Francis, for joining us today. As a reminder for our participants, after the webinar, we will be sure to email the PowerPoint, slides, documents, reference that you saw on your screen. So you have access to all of those. In addition, as has been the case with all of our other webinars, this will be posted in multiple formats for you to review or share on our website at www.mml.org. And next up in the League's event series, we've got our convention coming up in Grand Rapids, September 22nd through 24th. But virtually, we have a few more events before then. We've got our Live with the League coming up on August 23rd. And on August 25th, we've got uh, a webinar titled, What's Happening Inside MDOT's Local Agency Program? Stay tuned for more information and important webinar topics as we continue to provide you with timely updates and resources. Thank you all, and that concludes our session today. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mnl.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.